episode 13 of Behold Her, a podcast that shines a spotlight on femme gamers in the world of tabletop RPGs. I'm your host, Lisa Penrose, and today we are talking about advice for Dungeon Masters from Dungeon Masters. We're chatting with Venture Maidens DM Celeste Konowich and Plot Hunters DM Silani Bailey. Plus, TK Johnson returns with an audio story. You might remember them from the first episode of Behold Her when they shared what it was like learning and loving D&D during the Kentucky Satanic Panic. But what's changed since they became a professional DM? We're going to find out. Today's audio story is sponsored by DM Samuel. Speaking of our theme, Dungeon Masters, Sam is the DM to D&D Brief, a D&D actual play, but with a twist. Each game session is followed by an in-depth analysis and discussion of rules, DM choices, player choices, character decisions, fantasy tropes, role-playing habits, house rules. Oh my goodness, what makes a game fun? Pretty much anything else the players want to talk about. Check it out wherever podcasts are free. Celeste Konowich is the Dungeon Master to Venture Maidens, one of the first all-women and non-binary D&D actual plays out there. But really, what doesn't Celeste do? She's a full-time D&D writer, streamer, podcaster, and RPG consultant. In full disclosure, she's also my former roommate and makes some heckin' good homemade hummus. In our interview, Celeste shares tons of great Dungeon Master advice and recounts her journey to becoming a D&D creator for a living. How dare you? How dare you? Hi, Celeste. Thanks for joining me for Behold Her. Yeah, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so as I've probably just introduced, recorded <laughs> separately, you do a million D&D things. I do, I do. I, 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 yep, a million. <laughs> Approximately a million. Maybe a million a one, a million two, a million and some change. It depends on the day. But, well, I'm particularly excited to chat with you because those who followed you know that in the last year, year and a half, your journey in the D&D community and all the different things you do has totally transformed to the point where you do D&D stuff full time as your life. Yes. Yeah. No, it's it's an incredibly exciting time. I'm coming up right now on six months of working full time doing Dungeons and Dragons freelance work. So that's, you know, designing, podcasting, editing, the streaming, the whole gambit. So I am well entrenched now and loving every minute of it. So yeah, just it's it's been a very exciting year. What an exciting milestone. Congratulations. Thank you. I know. I know. They said be scared and I was and I still am, but I'm still here and I've paid rent for six months. So, you know, <laughs> yay, <laughs> the dream. <laughs> uh, well, let's take it back to the beginning. <gasps> the beginning. Celeste. Yes. How did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? Oh boy. So I... So the very, very beginning, when I was probably about 10 years old or so, my discovery of Dungeons and Dragons. So basically around that time, my parents split and my dad moved out and left a bunch of stuff behind. And of course, you know, my mom packed it all away. And so we had all these boxes of just stuff uh, that was like filling up our garages. And, you know, one day she decided she wanted to get rid of everything. So she invited my sister and I to come in and like go through the boxes, take anything we wanted. Uh, Everything else was going to get thrown away. So I remember, yeah, I found this box, you know, one of those little cardboard things uh, and just had like dragon written on it uh and I I know I know and I was like what is this so I opened up this box and it was just full of 
full of all of this advanced D&D stuff that my dad had basically had and used in college. So, I mean, we're talking like, you know, those old like red boxes and just like campaign books and like actual spiral bound notebooks that had his character sheets and campaign notes and all of the stuff. There was just this incredible treasure that I discovered. So I just started flipping through these books and they were full of monsters and legends and tales and just amazing art. And I mean, that was, I was hooked right then, <laughs> like opening that up and seeing all of that. So that started my dragon horde that got me obsessed with Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't actually play the game uh, until much, much later in my life. Uh, I, I didn't have a lot of people. I was a pretty shy kid. So getting people to just hang out with was one hard. To trying to get people to play this game about dragons was was a whole other ball game. I, I wasn't quite equipped for. <laughs> so I guess... That was the, that was like the origin. So I read the books obsessively for about, you know, five years or so before I finally got people to play a couple games with me, like suckered my sister and her friends into a couple games. And by that point, I mean, I didn't even know like there were other editions of the game out at that point. I just had a bunch of like AD&D stuff. Wait, you um, got a bunch of people to play AD&D? I did, yeah. So the first time, I, because at that point, I mean, I had no idea there was like a community of other people who played Dungeons and Dragons out there. I was just, you know just me and in high school with my books and like I didn't really have any friends who played or anything so I was just kind of on an island of whatever I had but finally in high school uh, I did meet like a couple people who mentioned that they played and I bought a 3.5 player's handbook the 3.5 dungeon master's guide and I was like okay you know what it's time so I got a bunch of girls together from my drama club in high school, and we started a D&D campaign, and that was the first campaign I ever ran. That lasted for about three years. We got together every single Sunday and played for like eight hours. This campaign that lasted for three years. So that was my first like DMing experience. So did you start out um, yeah. as a dungeon master, essentially? Because you I, were like the keeper of the books? I did, yeah. So um, I started being a DM right off the bat. I went there and taught all my friends how to play. And um, I got to play a little bit later after teaching everybody else the game. Um, but yeah, so I, Inception as a dungeon master, just went right for it. A dungeon master for advanced Dungeons and Dragons. But luckily that changed to 3.5 quite quickly because AD&D is hard, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very hard. <laughs> So you very much, you learned DMing by doing. Yeah. I mean, because there wasn't anyone else around me who really played or knew the game. So I, I took on that onus of responsibility to learn it and then teach others so I could play. And thinking back, <laughs> do you remember any times when you may have like fumbled, but learned a lesson in DMing from it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember the first couple games I ran because right before, you know, jumping into that big campaign, there were, of course, other games, one shots, things like that um, I put together. I just remember this horrible game I played. It might have been the first time I ever actually tried DMing. I, I made this story that was so railroady and like just horrible putting like, you know, no choices, no options. It was just this like really weird world that 
I, I don't even remember exactly what it was, but my players quit like, you know, a couple hours and they're like, this is like, this is not fun. Like you've taken away all my agency. And I was like, Oh my God, I was so traumatized by that. Oh. Um, but yeah, I learned. So I learned very, very quickly about how you need to open up the world uh, for other people to have fun in. And it's not just you telling a story. That was my first big <laughs> DMing lesson that landed in a big way. So there are lots of mistakes. I mean, I just sometimes I wish so hard that I could go back in time and run games for all of those people who like were my first, you know, DMing victims because I feel like I'm like, oh, no, I'm really good now. I promise. Like, I just want to big like run a big legacy game for all those people. Maybe one day. So how did you go from being a BBDM to Venture Maidens, which is... I, I, Am I correct in saying that's like your first big foray into the D&D community? Is that oh, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Venture Maidens just blew the doors off of my experience uh, with Dungeons and & Dragons and the community. Actually, uh, be- let's take a t- step back. For folks who who knows where you've been but don't know what Venture Maidens is, Yes. Okay. Uh, do a, a quick pitch. Sure. So Venture Maidens is at this point a veteran uh, actual play D&D podcast that features a crew of all female and non-binary folks. It's set in a homebrew world of my own creation, um, and it's really an epic fantasy tale. So big, high fantasy, huge, like overarching campaigns. Yeah. So that's available as a podcast. We can also live stream all of our shows. Yeah. Gosh, it's been four years of that. We're coming up on five years. We've been doing that. So yeah, that's Venture Maidens. Five years. That's all that's quite a feat, even yeah. for like a home <laughs> game, let alone uh, a public game. Oh yes. Yeah. Um basically before Venture Maidens, you know, I, I've been the eternal DM. Uh, um, you know, it started in high school with that group. And of course, when we all graduated, um, we split ways and went to college and you know, I I kept running games all through school ran a few fourth edition games all the way up to, you know, fifth edition and then back to 3.5 for a really long time. <laughs> and um, yeah, but when I think the original idea for Venture Maidens started, because that was, I mean, at the beginning there, there were very few actual play D&D podcasts out there. Even podcasting itself wasn't nearly the, you know, the giant it is today. But I heard Drunks and Dragons was my first, uh, which is now called Greetings Adventurers. Uh, The first time I heard that, I was like, oh my god, what? People will listen to us play D&D? This is amazing. I love being able to hear this. This is so exciting. And then I was listening, you know, a few episodes of that. And then I think it was really when um, The Adventure Zone came out that I was like, oh man, okay listen like I love this I love that we can listen to D&D podcasts but I want to hear voices that are like mine playing D&D you know I I want to hear women's voices or just you know not not dudes just constantly and I was like you know what my my tables are funny and amazing and I I want to share this so yeah I think I had you know like four or five glasses of wine and then I started calling <laughs> friends like hey guys like we should start we should start a D podcast and everybody's like what okay sure so that was how venture maidens was born um and and i think once that all started off like it just i it 
the ball just kept rolling so much because, you know, we, we started the podcast. We had to figure out how to use microphones, how to stream. None of us had ever streamed a game before or knew what Google Hangouts was or like headset mics. You know, it was it was all like a huge <laughs> learning curve. And then I'm like, oh, my God, we have to advertise this. So I made a Twitter account. I had never been on Twitter before. I had no idea what that was. And then, yeah, I, it was amazing. All of a sudden, you know, there, there was this whole world of people online who loved Dungeons and Dragons and who loved these podcasts and who wanted to listen to us. And it was it was just absolutely mind blowing to discover that there were so many people in the world who loved the same thing. I did and the same thing we did and it was that was the first step into the community and it's only gotten better from there. So you've touched on this a little bit already but what are differences between DMing a home game versus something publicly shared like a podcast or or a live stream? It's bonkers. You're open you're sitting down and you're opening your game to a full audience. So it's not just playing to the players at your table it's also playing to invisible people that you know you can't see when you're recording in the room but you know that they're there and so the story you're telling has to be you know that's that's a hallmark i think of good dming it's like the story you're telling has to invite your players into the game and make them part of the world and i think when you're playing for a live audience it goes even further you're inviting everyone who listens to your podcast into the world of the story to feel like they have ownership in the tale you're telling and that the story includes everybody here so it's just opening it up on this this massive scale which is a lot of mental gymnastics. <laughs> I, think. I was about to say, there must be a lot to balance between making sure it still feel, the players still feel like the game is about them, mm-hmm. but also playing to this like third party that's watching. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, you know, because this audience they almost become your players in a way they identify so strongly with your player characters and you know everybody has their their loves and their wants for these characters and so when you give your player characters agency in the world i think your audience really feels like that they have agency too because just like your players you know they're wondering what's going to happen next and they're hoping for different things and And then also, you know, it just really helps, too, to have, like, open communication with your audience and your players. So things like, you know, Discord or chats or whatever really give that feeling of dialogue that's constantly happening. So when you have dialogue within your team, you have dialogue everywhere, which is a really fascinating thing to see and and make actually happen. Can you think of any specific examples during Venture Maidens or another game you've streamed or you've done something different as a dungeon master because of that audience? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's that phenomenon that I think most DMs are are familiar with where, you know, you're you're in a town and you know, you're just intending to be there for a little while, but your party just desperately falls in love with like this one flower selling NPC that you've just made up because they wanted to buy daisies or whatever and then they make such a big deal out of this character that they have to become you know a reoccurring npc (laughs) in your adventures going forward so there have absolutely been those moments where the audience has just loved an npc or just absolutely you know talks about them all the time they'll make fan art whatever and so i'm like okay well obviously this npc is important and they become a much 
bigger piece of the story than I previously thought. So it's it's not just for, you know, the players doing that. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, because I, I we sort of have like a central home base that's populated by a bunch of NPCs. And definitely over time, the, the people who now show up more and more in the adventure have absolutely been those characters that the audience loves. Like we have this, he was like the butler, master of the house of the keep named Vlad, who's sort of this like Barovian nightmarish vampire figure and people just <laughs> loved him. And so now I try to put him in every single time, you know, they come back to the keep, you know, Vlad is the one who's there giving them their, you know, goblets or, or whatever it is, just because the the audience um, and the and the players just love him so much. He's definitely become a bigger part of the story than I thought he would ever be. I already love Vlad. Yeah. Also, the quick flower selling example you gave. I want to know everything about that. I, exactly. See what I It's a powerful tool when you just start listening to, to what people love and putting that in your games. So you started Venture Maidens. It blew up, uh, has become a very beloved podcast yeah. in the community. And then in the last year and a half... You moved to Seattle where D&D mm -hmm. happens. Yes, Talk where the Wizard's Tower lives. The Wizard's Tower. Um, so tell me about that move and deciding to to move closer to to D&D &D and Wizards. So I, when I was reading those books all the way back when I was like 10 years old, and I spent years with these books, not actually playing the game, just reading them obsessively, like chapter books or something, something like that. And I just loved that they existed and I loved reading them over and over again. And I wanted desperately to write books like this. Uh, I've always, I've always been that, that writer kid who's, you know, scribbling down stories and, you know, when I'm supposed to be paying attention in class, doing writing fantasy tales. And that was a huge part of my life uh, when I was younger. And as I got older, I, I was running games and I was kind of drifting all over the map, you know, as you do in school. You're like, I don't know what I'm going to do, what I'm going to be. And I just kind of kept bouncing around. And when I started Venture Maidens, it was so much work and it dominated such a huge part of my life. And I, I found myself putting all of my creative energy and everything into this podcast. And honestly, it was the thing in my life that mattered the most when I, you know, really think about it and break it down. So I was like, man, I need to be doing this. <laughs> I need to be doing this full time. And I committed to whatever I needed to do to be able to do this, to be able to live on this was what I was going to do. So, you know, we, we went really hard with the Venture Maintenance podcast. And then like the next natural step, it felt to me was to, to reach back to that you know, that interest in writing, that interest in reading, that interest in actually creating the game that fed what I was doing here. So at that point, I was like, all right, I have no idea how to start this. I didn't know anything about how to how to write anything. I don't I don't have an English degree. I don't have like a creative writing degree. So I was like, all right, just like the podcast, I got to build this up from ground zero. I got to learn the tools. I got to figure out who to talk to. And so my thought was, well, you know, they... Wizards of the Coast is in Seattle. I don't know anyone there, but if I go there, you know, I'm I'm physically closer <laughs> to it. So maybe that will, uh, you know, work in my favor. I don't know. So I just packed up my life, packed up everything, just committed to the idea of making this what I wanted it to be, making this my life. And I moved here. And luckily, I met you. <laughs> <laughs> 
at the same time when I was just, you know, going through the gymnastics in my mind of like, how do I make this work? How do I get up there? And then I, you know, I saw that you were tweeting out that you were also thinking about moving to Seattle. I was like, this is a sign. This is a chance. Like, I was like, let's do it. And yeah, so that's, that's how I got here to Seattle. And luckily, I don't know, I guess I, I guess I figured it out because I finally got to start meeting some amazing people. Like, uh, I, I remember meeting Jen Vaughn from the D20 Dames podcast. And like the first time I got to have a real conversation with her, like, how do you publish? Like, how do you do this? And then she was so patient and kind and explained like the process and like learning about the, you know, the DMs Guild and like what that was actually like to publish on there. And I was like, okay, you know, eating all that up. And and luckily I got to meet more and more of these people and talk to them about how their success worked and how that all looked. And I was just, I was eating information like in handfuls. It was amazing being here and being surrounded by so many people who just loved the game like as much as much as I did. And in an atmosphere like that, it was it was almost impossible not to, you know, get that momentum just constantly going. So yeah, between, you know, working this this awful <laughs> day job I had, running the podcast and like starting to get these these writing gigs and just pleading and begging anyone in the world to put me on their projects, emailing people, like just going hard at it. And here we are, I guess. So I guess that yeah. worked out. Yeah. I mean, that is so inspirational that you took such a huge leap of faith which to break into RPG writing, you don't need to move to Seattle. It's, I mean, it obviously is what worked for you and helped. But if people are listening, that's not necessarily the advice. No, no, no. Um, that that was just, I don't know. Uh, I was, I think also like I was, you know, I was at a pretty low point um, in my life then when I was like, oh man, I hated my day job. I was in a very bad relationship. I had nothing really going for me where I was. So I... I was kind of lucky that I was able to, you know, sever all of that and make the decision to come here. So I think even if it hadn't been a physical move, uh, it was a big like intellectual and spiritual move, I suppose, for me. Um, Obviously the right move for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Best decision I've ever made, hands down. So now you are a freelance writer, one of the Dungeon Masters Guild adepts spotlighted by Wizards of the Coast, and you're also a freelance RPG consultant. Yes. So so first of all, what does an RPG consultant do, and what is your day-to-day like now? Well, my day-to-day, I do have three identical calendars that live in different spots, so I can look at them throughout the day, just to keep track of all the things (laughs) I have to do over the course of the day. Um, Let me tell you, freelance life is is about organizing. For RPG consulting, um, basically what I do is that folks can hire me for a block of time, is the fundamental of it. And during that time, they can use it to chat about anything they might need advice with. Um, So I get a lot of folks coming to me who are interested in starting actual play podcasts or live streams and need help kind of getting that off the ground, either through the technical bits or like, you know, how, how do I make a game that's interesting for both my players and an audience is a big question that I get a lot. Otherwise, I also get folks who, you know, they're they're running campaigns at home or they want to start campaigns at home and they need a little bit of help with their story or their mechanics or they're trying to do something different across genres and how to make that accessible and how to make that work. I think there are just there are so many people in the world who are running games right now and looking to explore 
gaming media that it's it's amazing like the huge spectrum of questions i get from people who just need a little bit of help a little bit of advice sometimes just encouragement to get these off the ground so that's i guess what rpg consulting looks like Speaking of RPG consulting and asking questions, yes, I would like to ask <laughs> you some questions about advice for dungeon masters out there. Okay. All right. I'm ready. I've broken them down into different categories of okay. advice because there's lots of different dungeon masters. Yeah. So to start us off, okay. if you were teaching dungeon master 101, basic stuff, stuff for folks who are maybe aspiring dungeon masters, what is the top piece of advice you would give those people? I would say start small start simple i think the biggest thing with new dungeon masters is that they get overwhelmed you know they look at these huge books and they you know these beloved shows and they feel like they have to do that immediately off the bat they have to be perfect they have to be amazing my advice is like it's fine you can breathe take a step back start with like fighting some rats you know start small uh with your party because the thing is like Everybody there is excited to play the game. It's not dependent on just you if the game is going to be a great time or not. Most likely your friends, you know, they're all learning too. So when you do step up to the DM plate, keep a very, very simple storyline for your first time DMing. Yeah, something simple, one little thing to fight. Start small and then go big. And that's that's in all things too, you know, the as you keep playing through campaigns, always start small and then go big. Don't plan your whole world. Plan, you know, your neighborhood block. <laughs> plan just the fight today. Don't don't plan the epic, you know, lich that's dominating the kingdom. Start small and, and relax. And also know that no one is perfect. Ever. But especially not their first time. That's great advice. It's so true that players are there because they want to have fun too. It's yeah. not entirely on one person. And they, if you're, if you're playing with friends, especially they want you to succeed. Absolutely. And they realize, you know, they're all learning together and they're learning also what it is to have a dungeon master too. So the onus is not on you. It's, it's definitely a team sport. D and D is always a team sport. So it's, it's nice when you can, you know, breathe and realize that, it's not all on your shoulders, Dungeon Master. Um, you're doing this together as a group. So what about for someone who considers themselves a veteran Dungeon Master, but feels like they could still do better, they could still improve? What would be a Dungeon Master's 201 piece of advice? Well, first off, I, I do want to say I, I feel like Dungeon Mastering is a lot like acting. You're never the best at it there's always room to learn and and grow you know you're you're never like i know all the things about acting now you can never say i know all the things about dungeon mastering now i think it's a lifetime of learning and i would say if you are a veteran dm if you can my my number one piece of advice would be to play with other groups and to be a player with other dungeon masters, just to see what other styles look like, to experience how other people tell stories, listen to other dungeon masters. So like, you know, listening to a couple podcasts or shows, I think that is something that has helped me out so much as I've grown as a dungeon master, just, just hearing different ways to engage your players and finding ways to tell your story, I think is so helpful and so incredible also mixing it up with other players because other players can always teach you more about 
what you need to know as a dungeon master because you know if you do have that group that you've gotten very comfortable with you've played with for years and years you likely know exactly how to dm for them but to be you know an ultimate dungeon master you need to know how to dm for for all kinds of different people even just playing it all yeah. you forget what it's all about yeah forget what it's like to be on the other side um and what makes you excited as a player so so that you can you know feed that back into your games our next category is rules that are meant to be broken. Mm. Do you ever hear DMing advice out there, like prevalent DMing advice, and you're like, nope, I do the opposite? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Rules that are meant to be broken. I mean, first off, the obvious is like all of them, all the rules are meant to be broken. I remember for the 3.5 campaign I ran for, yeah, four years or so, I don't think I ever actually used a stat block out of the monster manual. I read them, I liked ideas about them, and then I made them to suit my party better, um, to be more engaging, more thrilling. So that's, I mean, that's one way. But let's see. Other advice. Ah, be prepared, I think, is some advice that I just don't... <laughs> I think, Never I think, be prepared. Never be prepared. I just think people go really overboard with how much... Whenever people start talking about, like, here's how you should outline your adventures, I'm like, oh, no, no, why? Um, come to the table with some ideas and, you know, have a very loose idea of your story. But I think over-preparing really it strangles you in a lot of ways. You get scared because you have to follow your format and stick to your details and your notes. And I, th I think that actually makes DMing harder in a lot of ways. So, but luckily, I mean, these days people are pretty open to like, don't over-prepare, tell the story, let it be fluid, let it be fun. Along with that is to hone your improv skills. I would think so. I mean, group storytelling yeah, is, is huge with it. And I think just getting to know the information that really matters for your stories. So something I always emphasize is knowing your NPCs really well, crafting really interesting and motivated non-player characters, I think is, is probably the most helpful kind of preparation that you can do. So if you're going to introduce a hero or a villain or an ally, know their motivations what do they want? And then also track how those might change over the course of your campaign. Because, you know, your setting can be whatever it is, but the people that you talk to, the people that your characters interact with, they're going to be the ones that really move and shake what happens in your campaigns. So if you're going to know anything or have that prepared, really think about the people in your game. Spend some time with your characters' backstories instead of more time writing the future of your game get to know that really well and then that will always inform your improv choices that you have to make that will inform conversations or the flow of your story so for the last category of advice i was going to ask you about i'm going to combine it a bit with a question oh okay all right how have you felt that your personal journey as a dungeon master, as someone in the D&D community, has been different as a femme gamer, as a woman? And from that, what advice do you have for other women looking to dungeon master or who do dungeon master in the community? Sure. So I, I think my, my experience as a femme dungeon master has been that I've always had to push so much harder or I've always felt like I've had to push harder. You know, I, I have, I can't do anything halfway. I, I have to go 
full frontal. <laughs> um, so like when, when starting the podcast, I was like, no, we can't just like do this little recording podcast thing. We have to stream it. We have to do this. We have to do this. And not only can I be an okay dungeon master, I have to be the best because I've always felt like there's this huge boys club that's surrounding me. And, you know, I, I need to make my mark as a great dungeon master, not a great female dungeon master was always something just in the back of my mind. I mean, I've worked myself to death <laughs> over over these past years. And I think now I've learned to like reel back and, and realize that my place and my voice is important and meaningful, not because of my gender, just because it is. So I think my advice would be like, don't be afraid of your style. Don't feel like your style needs to change to fit in a mold or to bust open a mold. You are what you are and you're going to tell your stories with your life experience and the way you are, the way you interact with people. So as long as you believe in that and really like give space for your own style, I think that's probably the strongest and most important thing you can do as a femme gamer. Because if you unapologetically exist and unapologetically tell your story the way you want to tell your story, people won't mess with you. <laughs> that's uh that's something I've uh I've I've come to realize over the years. Have you ever had someone try to mess with you? Oh man, it's it's mostly in person still. <laughs> it happened again at PAX most recently where I walked in to do some group play and I was of course the the only girl at the table and this dungeon master automatically like pinned me out it was like he's like oh of course the girl would say that oh you know whatever um over what? the course oh yeah uh over the course of the game so i was like you know what i'm gonna make this dude love my style by the end of this game and sure enough like you know i committed hard to my role playing to my character i didn't change a thing i just really dug into it and at the end he apologized uh, oh really mm -hmm. oh that's so. good you know, that was, it's things like that. It's things in person. I feel like uh, maybe over the course of time, it's come up sometimes, you know, little comments, little internet, YouTube comments or whatever. But the vast majority of this community is so ready and so open for femme DMs to step in here that I think uh, the tidal wave is changing in our favor. So if we persist, our space is guaranteed. Yeah, unapologetically exist. Well yep. said. <laughs> so as we wrap up this conversation, I wanted to check. Is there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about? Projects you're excited about? Anything else? I I just think probably my, my final note here would be like, just don't be scared of things. Um, commit. If you believe in it, it'll happen. You put in the work, you put in the time and always keep learning. Always keep growing. The RPG community is here whenever you're ready to to start doing some heavy lifting in it. So that's just my big word to send out to everybody. <laughs> if folks want to hear more from you, find out about your RPG consulting, all of the things, how do they find you on the interwebs? Yeah, so the very best way to get a hold of me immediately, uh, to message me, to see all my links to everything, is to follow me on Twitter, at cconowich. Um, You can also check out all of my links, my show schedules. Um, you can hire me through my website, celesteconowich.com. There you can find out more about, of course, Venture Maidens, the podcast, as well as my work for the, you know, the DMs Guild and what I'm what I'm always putting out in this world. Um, so yeah, follow me there. 
Thanks, Celeste. It was so fun chatting with you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We're halfway through this episode of Behold Her. Thank you so much for listening to these stories and wisdoms from women and non-binary femme gamers. Each and every one of us has a unique tale to tell as individuals. If you'd like to help us share more stories, consider supporting the podcast at patreon.com slash beholdher. Even $1 helps us pay our editor, compensate our audio story writers, and grow and grow and do more amazing things. Speaking of... Here's a special shout out to our new patrons. John Swatsky, Mr. Dingo, Brian Kurtz, Dustin Miller, TK Johnson, Eugene Marshall, and Scott Koenig. I cannot do this without you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for making Behold Her possible. Today's guest is Silani Bailey, also known as Mistress Verse. She's a writer, podcaster, cosplayer, and lover of all things fantasy and sci-fi. She's also the dungeon master for Plot Hunters, which is a weekly all-person of color LGBT D&D stream on twitch.tv slash plot hunters. Hey Silani, how are you doing on this lovely Sunday morning? I'm doing okay. <laughs> I have forgotten what it felt like to actually have plans for something. <laughs> uh, you know what? Yeah, this is nice. This is just nice as an interacting with another human being sort of thing. Yes. Outside of awkward conferences at work. Yeah. Welcome everyone to the first quarantine of the Hold Her podcast. <laughs> I hadn't even considered that. But let's jump right into chatting about one of our favorite things, Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. How did you get started playing D&D? I had tried it once many, many years ago. Um, I used to work at a bookstore and they had like a weekly game at the bookstore. And so I tried it then. I didn't really like it then. I didn't really understand largely because the group I was playing with was very advanced and no one really took the time to explain anything to me. So I was just like, I have no idea what is going on. So that kind of put me off of it for a while. But after that, I still liked looking at the books because I love fantasy. And so I was reading through the books and it's just like, there's a lot of really cool lore here. I just wish I knew how to play the game. And then eventually, um, a couple years ago, I decided to do a complete life haul change and pack up everything and move to Seattle. And I came here, didn't know anybody, didn't really have any friends and was feeling kind of lonely. So I decided, you know, what, I'm going to try and start my own game. And by then I had been playing, I had been watching like Critical Role. So I had a better idea of how to actually play the game. So I basically went on uh, Tumblr and just did an open shout. Like, who does anybody uh, want to play D&D? If you're a woman of color, here, hit me up. And I got my four players which I really lucked out with them because it is amazing how much chemistry they have for random people that just met on the internet. Was that Plot Hunters? That yeah, game? Plot Hunters, yeah. What the heck? <laughs> None of oh. us knew each other. It was just all random people on the internet. What was it like when the group first met? Was the chemistry instant? It was pretty pretty good at first. Like I was I was expecting the first episode to be really awkward, especially considering that it was my first time being a, a dungeon master. So I was really nervous and wasn't really sure how things would go. Um, but everybody connected pretty well, and uh, it, we had a lot of fun that first session. And then just kind of it just all kind of happened organically after that. They just felt. I think that everybody just connected really well, and just personality wise, humor, it was just all great. I feel like it takes a special sort of person gamer to be 
like, oh, I haven't ever really played this game, so let's start off as the dungeon master. <laughs> There's some <laughs> folks who play D&D for a while until they feel confident enough to do that. I'm one of them. So what was it that made you think, well, I'm going to start a game, not only start a game, but I'm going to stream a game as a dungeon master. That's going to be my first experience uh, <laughs> versus finding like a game at a local game store. A temporary insanity and extreme loneliness. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it felt like, I think I just, yeah, I just was bored and just wanted to do something. And I tend to just dive into things and not really worry too bad, too much about being terrible at them. I consider that to be the Aries in me. I just I just jump into stuff for random reasons. And so I was just like, well, screw it. I'm just going to give it a try. And if it sucks, it sucks. Now I'm curious. I feel like I've got to completely change them now, knowing <laughs> how exactly Plot Hunters got started and that that was one of your first or one of your earliest experiences playing D&D. Did you get any advice before you started Plot Hunters? Did anyone give you dungeon mastering advice? A little bit, but you know, most of it is just... I just I mostly went on the internet and just kind of looked up things that I had questions about, but I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants. And we started off with Curse of Strahd, which the one advice I got from like a friend was just like, that's a really hard one to start out with. But I was like, too bad. I already committed to it. So we're doing it. Well, they warned you that that one was really hard. What was the experience actually like for you? It was actually fun. It was challenging because um, I didn't really know how to get into character at that point. And there's some really interesting characters. So definitely watching back those episodes, I could have done a lot better with the characterization of the NPCs. But it was kind of cool because it was very much trial by fire, not just for me as a DM, but also for our players, because I think only one of my players... Jen was the only one that was experienced with D&D. Like the other ones had like known about D&D. A couple of them had watched Critical Role and wanted to try it out. But for a lot of them, this is their first experience. So we were all just kind of learning as we went. But a lot of hilarity ensued and a lot of mistakes. But it was it was great because it was so challenging. And we just kind of just dove in and gave it a shot. And it made for some a lot of memorable moments that have come back around to haunt them. I'm wondering whether there are any uh, anecdotes or stories that kind of jump out in your mind when you think about you're all playing Curse of Strahd as everybody's first game. Uh, Mira dying third episode in. <laughs> my oh, first no, play three episodes in. Oh my God. It was a series of bad decisions on their part. They had a situation where um, they were attacked by a couple werewolves and some dire wolves. And Mira went down. They had, first of all, they split the party. Which, don't do that. There's only four players. So two of them had gone in one direction. Two of them had gone in the other direction. So I think it was Mira and Cruz had gone in one direction and got cornered by a pair of dire wolves. Mira went down because she's squishy. And so Cruz had picked her up and was running, but then decided to lay her down and continue fighting the two wolves. So naturally, while fighting one wolf, the other wolf went after the body. Oh, no. I'm just like, why did you leave her in the middle of the road by herself? Oh, my gosh. It's okay to run. It was was hilarious. But fortunately, she got brought back to life because fortunately, one of the NPCs, uh, Rick Davio, actually had a scroll of like raised dead or something on him. So it's like, that's the only reason this character survived. Otherwise, you would have been making a new character. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I guess it is a learning experience. I wonder if, I mean, I say in real life, but in the D&D realm, real life, adventurers really do learn. Something kills you. You don't make that mistake again. They've made the mistake again. I mean, no one died again. But <laughs> they, later, they made the mistake again. <laughs> they learn a little bit. 
But it was actually really cool because I was able to tie that into um, later on. We eventually did Tomb of Annihilation. And uh, there was the whole death curse in that one that was able to tie in because Mira had died previously. So that was great. That worked out really well in that storyline. So you mentioned that this was a trial by fire, not just for your players, but for yourself. What would you say you have learned through DMing, learning by doing? Don't be afraid to try stuff out. (laughs) And I think the biggest thing I've learned is give your players what they want. I mean, I feel like a lot of times there can be a kind of player versus dm but it's not really like that it's you're you're both all you're all working together to create this narrative and there have been a lot of times that i've had to throw my plans completely out the window and just and just completely change things because i have a better sense of what they want to happen and they're the best times i think are when they start speculating about crazy things and i'm just like man your ideas are way better than what i had and so i completely like rewrite a storyline and it's great because on one hand like on one hand, you don't want to make things too easy, but at the same time, I kind of giving them a little bit of what they want and, and kind of playing to what they suspect makes them feel like they're smart <laughs> and that kind of gives them a little bit of satisfaction. Yeah. And they write your notes for you. It's great. <laughs> exactly. It's like, well, well you just saved me a, a nice uh, plot twist there. I didn't have to come up with that. You guys came up with that with yourself. <laughs> what would you say are differences between DMing a public game as you do versus DMing a game at home. I haven't actually DMed any other games. This is the only game I've DMed, but I would imagine that probably the biggest difference is just the downtime. We don't spend a lot of time looking up rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got to just keep it going as much as possible. So a lot of just kind of winging it. If we can't figure things out, I just make a call and then we'll figure it out later. What was your thought process in starting a game and deciding to stream it? Like, I feel like that's doubly scary. You're DMing for the first time and you're doing it live yeah it was a little it was i at first it was just like this sounds like a good idea and then i started doing it's like oh gosh i'm I'm kind of terrified now but i kind of just forget that it's streamed half the time because i'm just there with my players and they interact with chat a little bit more than i do just because i have to focus on what we're actually doing for me it's it feels the same like i don't worry too much about the audience <laughs> i'm worried about my players too much that's true you already have a lot on your mind mm-hmm Have you ever felt that your journey as a dungeon master is different as a femme gamer? Probably. Again, I haven't had a whole lot of experience in it, but I do know that like the previous game that I tried that I really didn't like, it was just a group of very advanced white men and like already going into it, I'm just kind of weird because just I don't really necessarily fit into that group. But then like not having anybody take the time to really engage me in the process and help me learn the game made it worse. And of course, just like in the geek community in general, there's always going to be people who are not interested in, in playing with women or not in, or don't know how to interact with women or, or, or people of color. And so my idea of forming this group was basically to make it just a comfortable space for women of color to try out the game that they wanted to try and not have to worry about having to deal with the awkwardness. Was there anything else you did to foster that sort of welcoming environment? I definitely try to include more um, characters of color, LGBT characters, non-binary characters into the narrative. And some of the later, um, like we played through Waterdeep Dragon Heist, and that actually had a lot of like really interesting uh, people of color and like non-binary characters in it um, that I was able to incorporate a lot. And just generally just trying, getting a better sense of what my players enjoy and the kind of characters they enjoy 
I being able to bring those in into NPCs and create memorable NPCs for them and watching them latch on to random people that were supposed to be one off people, but ended up being like repeat characters just because they love them so much has been great. every time the players yes. every time. Yeah, there was this, like this mermaid character who um, was literally just supposed to be just a, I just wanted a mermaid in there just for for giggles and i just wanted to she was basically just a servant and that was all she was going to be just popping up as a servant and they just latched on to her so hard that she's become like a really a staple character that's amazing but also silani you can't throw in a mermaid and walk away i know i didn't i was just like i want a mermaid character i'm just gonna make this made a mermaid let's just see how it goes oh well okay (laughs) (laughs) because you're a group of non-white men playing D&D together in a public space what has reception to plot hunters been like it's actually been really great like we haven't really dealt with a lot of craziness online um we have our audience has been really really supportive and what's really cool is that we've actually connected with a lot of other POC players and even people who've never played D&D but wanted to try it and uh one of my other players started up her own game with one of those people uh one of our audience members who had never played before but wanted to and so she's she started her own game with that and so just building that community has just been really positive you helped make a DM. Yes. How lovely. So you've touched on this a little bit in talking about the space you wanted to create, but I ask every guest this. And so I'm wondering if you can expand a little, what does it mean to you to be a quote unquote woman in gaming? It just means I'm being myself. Honestly, I don't, I don't think too hard about, about, you know, definitions or anything like that. I just, I just want to be myself and make sure that the people that I'm playing with feel that they can be themselves, even when they're playing other characters and making sure that they just feel comfortable and just, it helps having a lot of communication. Um, We're really good at communicating with each other and making sure that everybody's comfort level is the same. But I don't know. I don't really think too much about the specifics of being a woman in gaming. I'm just, I've been in gaming, like whether it's video games or other, other types of gaming for most of my life. So it's just a part of me. I don't see it as being anything out of the ordinary. So for the next part, for like the next like five minutes, uh, I wanted to do Silani's advice for dungeon masters, uh, but I've broken it down into categories. Uh, So I'll ask each one. What is a piece of advice, like if you were teaching Dungeon Mastering 101, what is something very basic that people who want to become Dungeon Masters should know? Just dive in and do it. (laughs) Don't be scared. If you make mistakes, you make mistakes. For me, what helped a lot is understanding that Everything that in the DM DM's guide or any other rule books are guidelines. You do not have to stick with them a hundred percent of the time. You can make compromises if things are if your players want to do things and they just sound really cool and they don't fit in with the guidelines, you can go with that. If if you're not sure of the rules, make something up on the fly. You can look them up later and then you can discuss it with your players. Uh, it's been more important for me to kind of work with my players to figure out what rules work best for our game. And we've had to change things and that's fine. Do you have a favorite like home rule that you all use? Not really a, a specific one. I just go with whatever is cool. <laughs> rule of cool. Rule Love of cool. It. Yeah, that absolutely runs our games. Yes. Because our players, my players come up with such crazy things. And sometimes it's just like, I have no idea what how that's going to work, but let's just try it. 
Uh, so what about Dungeon Mastering 201? So this is for a Dungeon Master who has been DMing for a while, but what would be a piece of your of advice that you have for them to kind of up their game? I think it's important to remember that you're not playing against your your players. It's not DM versus players. You are working together to create something. Be flexible and really listen to them and listen to what they want. I honestly think that, you know, it seems like writing is a big part of DMing, but I think half of DMing is just listening, listening to what your players are discussing with each other. What kind of plans and ideas do they have with each other? Listening to to what they want. What kind of characters are they interested in? What kinds of adventures are they interested in? What do they always seem? What are particular uh, players seem to always be drawn to? Do you have a player that likes to blow things up? Give them opportunities to blow things up. Do you like another character? A character likes to be able to break into places and give them those opportunities. I love that. Half of DMing is listening. I don't think I've heard that before, but that is so true. So what about if someone is a femme role player, but they're in an environment where it might be mostly men, in particular white men, and they feel a little bit nervous or maybe even a little bit unwelcome? What advice would you have for them as a DM? I think communication is the key. Definitely session zero when you are um, meeting with your players and discussing what their characters as well as what kind of game they want to play. That's where really where you want to establish what kind of environment it's going to be in. But I also find that throwing in as many people of color and non-binary NPCs and other uh, other gender NPCs into your game and just flooding it with it helps too. Yeah, you at least you have company in in the game at least. Yeah. All right. So the next category is rules meant to be broken. Is there any DMing advice that you hear out there where you're like, oh, wait, no way. Break that rule. I can't really think of one on top of my head, but there have been several times where like I've gone through and tried to figure out rules for things. And they're like, there's always going to be multiple interpretations of the rules as written. And there have been times when I've been confused about something and gone through like forums and like everybody has conflicting ideas. So I'm just like, no, screw it. I'm just going to go with this and we're just going to gonna make this happen the way I want to make, make it happen. That has been some really good advice. Was there any like general DMing advice that I didn't ask you about that you think folks need to hear? Everybody should DM. That is my advice. Everybody should at least give it a try. Even if for one shot, just do some one shots. I've played, uh, we've done one shots with all of our players as DMs. And it's been great seeing everybody's different DMing styles and um, what kind of stories that they create. And I think it's really, I think it's a great practice just to have like, if you have played in a D&D group, just have every player just do like a one shot. And just like have them pick something completely random, whatever they want to pick and just get an idea. I feel like you learn more about them, not just as... um as people as well as players, when you kind of let them have that free reign to kind of create their own story and you as a DM have to play in their world now. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Ooh, how would you describe your players' DM styles? I'm curious. They all have different ones. Like Jen is the Jen is the veteran. Like she's she's played so many games. She plays DD, Pathfinder, Blaze in the Dark. She's played so many games and she's like our our resident uh encyclopedia. Like she just kind of absorbs the rules. And so if I have questions, I can just ask her. She's a lot of fun to play with. Everybody else is fairly new to DMing, and so I can tell that they're a little bit nervous, but they are also um, really into having a lot of fun. I really genuinely enjoyed playing a one-shot with Ashley as the DM because she did a sort of eldritch horror one that was so much fun. And, like, she was nervous, and she was, like, with things that she didn't think ahead of time, but 
you just roll with it in those instances. And she did really well with that. And that was a lot of fun. It's mostly just figuring out like what kind of genres they actually really like, because I was not expecting horror from Ashley. And she's like, nope, this is going to be an eldritch horror. And it was really creepy. Well, we learned something about Ashley. Yes, it was great, though. I hope she hasn't said anything about wanting to DM again, but I really want her to DM another one. Before we wrap up our conversation, was there anything I didn't ask you about that you wanted to talk about today? Unfortunately, we don't have any major plans coming up because nobody's going anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So we have a regular game, but we just haven't really, we haven't played for the past couple weeks because I have not been feeling very well, but we will be playing next week. And actually, Jen is going to be DMing. Um, She's going to be doing either a one or two shot in Wildmount in celebration of the release of of that uh, campaign guide. So we are, she's going to be doing that next week and possibly the following week, depending on how things go. So that at least takes a little bit off my plate. And then we will continue with our regularly scheduled uh, program, which Right now, we are are working our way towards another adventure that I cannot reveal yet. Ooh, exciting. Also, the sort of like, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? And not really, describes every family Zoom call I've been having. Because we all want to talk and converse, but none of us are doing anything right now. <laughs> nothing to talk about. I know. Oh, All right. Well, uh, in that case, Silani, if folks want to learn more about Plot Hunters, learn more about you, get in touch, how can they find you on the interwebs? We are play at twitch.tv slash plot hunters, and we're at plot hunters on Twitter. And I am at Mistress Verse on Twitter. And I also have uh, a Twitch account for that too, but I don't really I haven't really streamed anything lately. I've been stuck playing Animal Crossing. <laughs> For real. That has pretty much taken up all my life. But yeah, Plot Hunters on Twitch and Plot Hunters on Twitter. Thanks so much for chatting with us and sharing your wisdoms. Thank you so much for inviting me. TK Johnson is a storyteller, editor, and professional dungeon master for Tales from the Mists, a gothic horror campaign live streamed on the D&D Twitch network. They first appeared in the inaugural Behold Her podcast, sharing what it was like loving and losing D&D during the Kentucky Satanic Panic. But much has changed in two years. Find TK on Twitter at TKJoinsTheFray or on their website, TKJWrites.com. It's me. It's TK, your favorite auntie in Eldritch Horror. Two years ago, I was approached by Lisa Penrose to write an audio essay for the inaugural episode of Behold Her Podcast. What ensued was a 10-minute monologue about my experiences growing up in rural Kentucky during the resurgence of the Satanic Panic. However, it wasn't my voice you heard, but our friend, Noelle Sheary's. You see, two years ago, I was terrified of being known by friends and family as non-binary and as a semi-professional dungeoneer. I was scared of being seen by those I had not yet allowed to see me. As you can imagine, things are very different now. Oh, uh, not the Kentucky thing. I still live in an area with more guns per household than teeth. But now my professional life online and in the tabletop community has overtaken that of my personal one. I have well over a hundred streamed game sessions under my belt, and I've been the dungeon master for Tales from the Mists, a D&D-sponsored actual play show set in Ravenloft, for over a year. 
I just accepted a job with Roll20 and turned in some awesome writing and editing assignments to some very exciting projects. I have my own brand, my own presence online, and a community I love. Two years ago, I was in hiding. It's astounding what changes in just 26 months, right? This time, Lisa has asked me to share some of my insight as a professional dungeon master. Last time we talked, I was just beginning to host games in my house, and my own worlds were blossoming like wildflowers. My players were battle-hardened, thick-skinned killing machines who roamed the land, murdering and plundering at their will, skirting the main quest to destroy buildings, punch police officers, and take on every deadly encounter barehanded. It was a disaster, but a disaster I definitely brought upon myself. That campaign has long since ended, but my love for being a dungeon master and creating adventures where my closest friends could bloom into heroes has not. Tales from the Mists will be wrapping up its third season soon, and it's an honor and a joy to perform live weekly. The Land of the Mists will have to descend into darkness and despair without our... careful guidance, at least for a couple of months. So, since I'm not too terribly busy, I'm going to tell you a secret. And I'm going to tell you this secret because it took me two years to learn it. And really, who has that kind of time these days? As a professional dungeon master, and especially one that performs live shows on Twitch... It's not my duty to tell stories. I know. That doesn't sound right, does it? Stay with me. As a professional dungeon master, it's my duty to facilitate storytelling. That means I'm not reciting a book to my players or our audience. I'm not moving their characters into carefully curated scenes and... I'm not keeping large agency-defying secrets from them for strategic gotcha moments. I'm working with other artists to create a story together. That's right. We're each artists, each storytellers, each actors influencing the fate of the world we've built. Maybe if I'd started with this in mind, I could have avoided classic blunders that robbed my friends of their agency, such as killing the NPCs they brought into the story out of spite, or putting them in situations where they had to choose between joining sessions for fun or from obligation to the quote-unquote main storyline. And what does that even mean? Looking back, it seems like such an easy fix. A mistake I corrected far too late. So, if you take anything away from this two-year check-in, let it be this. You, as the dungeon master, are not the storyteller in your game. You are a person sitting at a table, playing a game with your friends. That's the most important rule. The only rule, really. You're telling a story with them, not to them. When you learn to play nice and share your toys, everything else just falls into place. Soon I may DM more games, host more streams, write a book. Who knows? The world is wide and wild. I'll see you in two years and tell you all about it. Feel free to roll for insight. 
thank you TK, Silani, and Celeste for sharing your stories with Behold Her. Thank you Rudy Basso for editing as always, and DM Samuel for sponsoring our audio story this episode. A reminder that if you love Behold Her, then please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen. Or visit patreon.com slash beholdher to learn how you can help make this podcast happen. Till next time.